Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Did you guys like the extra 60 seconds? We're, we're, we're not doing 180 seconds. Five minutes social. All right. Can I tell you guys, can I give you guys the inside, the inside lane on the 120 second social? Can I give you the backstory? All right. Like you guys know we do like two services here, right? And you can't tell second service this, right? You can't tell them. But like first service, first service is always like, it's like best friends, right? First service is like best friends. And second service is sometimes a little quiet. It's a little quiet. And here's what I realized. They don't know each other. It's literally, that's the whole thing. They just don't know each other. Like if you're a new person and you come to church for the first time, you don't come to first service, you come to second service. And so what we end up having is a room full of people who don't know each other. So we may drop a five minute social on them at some point. (laughs) Stay tuned, stay tuned. Uh, Yeah, that's the inside, that's the inside. I just gave you the staff meeting right there. Um, Hey, I'm Adam, I'm the pastor here. Really good to have you. Welcome to fall break. Uh, We're the people who didn't go on vacation. Uh, Literally every single person you can think of is in Florida, including Andrew. And so uh, Andrew and his family are in Florida, along with a bunch of other people from staff. Uh, It's just like me, Sam, and Joey here today. And uh, Bobby's here. And other than that, we don't know what's happening over in the kids' wing. That's not true. Your kids are cared for. Um, But if you think of it this week, do not text Andrew. And do not call him. Leave him alone. Andrew never takes vacation. We want him to be well-rested. Um, hey, this is what I'm doing this morning. I'm just up here giving you guys, like, the play-by-play. Uh, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to finish up our series in Ruth. Uh, and we're going to look at a few verses out of Ruth chapter 4. And the title of today's message is God is at work. God is at work. And the painting today is a Chagall. Somebody say Chagall. Chagall. Uh, if you ever want to go see some Chagalls, you can go to the Art Institute in Chicago. Uh, they have several Chagalls. And not only that, but they have some of his famous stained glass. And if any of you are really rich, I don't know. Maybe there is someone here who's really rich. Here's my dream. Can I tell you my dream? In addition to building, in addition to like getting this extra land from the, from the city over here and building a kid's wing... Here's what I want to do in the sanctuary. I want to take these three lovely paintings from Eric Hurchin. I want to take them down and relocate them. And I want us to have a stained glass window over here that is like a Chagall permanently, right? Wouldn't it be so sick? But if you want to go see a Chagall, you can. And here's, here's our version of it, right? It's not exactly as good as the sphere in Las Vegas, but we're doing what we can today. Uh, and here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk to you about one principal thing this morning, and it's that it's this, it's that God is at work uh, in your life. Uh, God is up to something and God has plans for you. Plans for you that you might not even be able to see, right? Uh, and he has some plans for you that you will one day most likely live into. But here's one part of what we see in Ruth chapter four. God has plans for you that are so great 
that there's a very good chance you'll never live to see them. Like he's doing something through you that will culminate in another day and you may never live to see it, but you're actually a participant in it now, okay? So here's what I would like to do before we begin this morning. I would like you to turn to your neighbor and just say, God has plans for me. He really does. But here's what I want to do first. I want to talk to you about three things right up front. I want to talk to you about three things. I think I have a slide for it, Seth. I want to talk about three things. Number one, attention spans. I want to talk about movies on airplanes. And then the last one is a big category, stuff we don't know. Stuff we don't know for a thousand, Alex. Who's the new guy? There's two of them. There's, there's, we got some Jeopardy people here. Uh, Jeremy, you're old enough to know about Jeopardy now, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I can punk Jeremy because he's my friend. I want to talk to you about attention spans for a moment. Uh, human, human attention spans are really, it's really wild. I was reading about it this week. So here's basically the way it works. You, you, have, you have two versions of, of your attention span. There's like your surface attention span, and then there's like deep attention. And you can, you can work your way from surface into deep attention. And deep attention is like, it's like when you're in the zone and you're actually working and you're focusing and, and, but they're, they're principally two different things that can be connected. And here's what's really wild. Attention spans are plummeting. Uh, I know you're surprised by that. Uh, right now, uh, the adult attention span uh, for most people in the West is somewhere around eight and a half seconds. And that's down, that's down over 25% since the year 2000. Huh, I wonder what happened in the last 20 years. It's correct. Somebody hold up their smartphone, right? In fact, I was reading about that this week as well. The average person checks their smartphone 1,200 times a day. So what we have is, is we have these little leashes in our pocket that are always pulling us out of deeper attention, always back up to the surface, right? It's just, it's, it's just always there. And so our attention spans, they drop. Uh, we're living in a moment where we're not living in the moment. We're just on the surface of the moment, largely unaware. So I just want you to hold that in your mind for eight seconds. We're, we're living our entire life in these little eight-second packets. So I want you to think about that, Okay. Maybe you could pull it into deep focus for a moment. Which brings me to movies on airplanes. I want you to think about flying on an airplane. You get seated, you buckle up, put your headphones on, uh, you select your movie. And then have you ever looked up from your movie and looked to see what everybody else is watching? I like to do that. I like to look around and see what everybody, like what's that guy have on his iPad? What's this lady watching over here? Have you ever gotten on the plane, got seated, buckled up, you select your movie, and then you look around, and have you ever noticed that everyone on the plane is watching something different? Like no one's ever watching the same thing. I just want you to think about that for a moment. And here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about this. You get on the plane and you make your choice 
and everyone on the plane has made their choice as to what they're watching. But here's the other thing I want you to think about. That plane is going somewhere and it doesn't matter what your choice was once you get on it. I want you to think about that. So you get on the airplane, everybody makes their choice. Everybody's got something different on their screen, but the pilot has something different on his screen and he's taking everyone somewhere. Everyone somewhere. Which brings me to stuff we don't know. So much we don't know. And we know this precisely by the things we do know. There are things we didn't know at one time. Things like gravity. People didn't know about gravity at one point. In fact, it's kind of a recent revelation when you think about all of human history. Humans lived thousands of years and they lived thousands of years experiencing gravity, but they had no ability to recognize it or articulate it. And then once we got a hold of it, then all this other stuff opened up to us and we were able to go to the moon. Isn't that crazy? Like humans live untold thousands of years with no ability to recognize or articulate gravity. And then at some point, someone wakes up to the mathematics of it all. And then once we get it, we end up going and doing another thing that nobody could imagine, which was put our feet on the moon. That's wild. Let me, think, let me give you something else here. I was reading a long article two weeks ago about the people who did all the work on the human genome. Uh, they mapped it, and they were talking about the double helix structure of human DNA. And, and how, many of you, how many of you know that most of human history, uh, almost, almost everyone who's ever lived has no idea what the double helix concept of our, genetic, of our genetic structure is? Like, people just didn't know it. They were living embodiment of it, but they didn't know it. They never saw the picture. They didn't know it existed. Uh, and by historic standards, it's a relative recent discovery. Well, I, I'm saying these things to you this morning for, for two reasons. Uh, number one, you can, live, you can live your whole life unaware of important things. Okay? Like, you, you could live your whole life unaware of gravity. You could live your whole life and have no idea that there's like a human genome and it's a double helix and there's like... A, C, T, and G, and different combinations make whatever it is that make you, you. You could know that, you know? You, may, you could live just completely unaware of all of those things. And then the second thing, and the second reason I'm bringing it up is, is, is this question. What are we living unaware of right now? Okay? I mean, like, like if we keep making these discoveries, like, what are we unaware of right now? Uh, in Europe, there's that, there's that particle collider that's under the ground. It's like a 25-mile loop, and they fire protons at each other and there are certain elements that only appear for split seconds in there and they, they, they find these little, little fragments of things that they think might be the beginning of the universe, right? Like we didn't know that, but now we do. And you have no idea. And then it brings up this other question. What else is out there that we just don't know about? What's happening that's foundational to your existence that you do not know about right now? So, 8.5 seconds attention span. Number two, you choose your movie, but the pilot's taking you somewhere. And number three, there's stuff we don't know. Even now, stuff we don't know. All right, Ruth chapter four. Uh, some of you are like, How, what is this? What is this? Just hang with me. Uh, I wanted to start here because Ruth chapter four is an unbelievable ending to the story we've been looking at. And I just want to give you a quick review. The story goes something like this. Um, there's this lady named Naomi and she has a husband 
and they have a couple sons, and the sons have really tragic names. And they end up leaving Israel because of a famine. They go to Moab, and there the sons marry Moabite women for wives. And while they're in Moab, Naomi's husband dies, and both of the daughter-in-law's husbands also die. And so what you end up with in Ruth chapter 1 is you end up with three women who have lost their husbands in the middle of a famine. And it's pretty bleak. And so they decide to go back to Israel, and Naomi says to her two daughter-in-laws, you know what, I don't know why you're coming with me. You should go back to your mom and dad's house. Like, they should take care of you. And, you know, look, God has dealt bitterly with me, you know. Don't hang around with me. And Ruth is like, no, I'm going to go with you. So she comes back to Israel, and when they come back to her hometown in Bethlehem, which means house of bread, uh, they show up with nothing. And not only do they have nothing, but they're, they're in the most vulnerable state that a person in the, in the ancient world could be in. And Naomi says to Ruth, well, just go out into the fields and you, you can pick up what the, what the harvesters leave behind. And so Ruth goes out and she picks up the little bits of grain that the harvesters leave behind. And she finds out, well, she's in this guy's field named Boaz. And Boaz kind of takes a liking to her. And then in chapter 3... Ruth goes to Boaz in the middle of the night and says, hey, would you redeem me? Because I know that we're family. And I know that you have an Old Testament, like word from God to care for me and Naomi. And Boaz says, I'd love to, but I think there's someone who's closer in the family line. And it actually goes to them. But if they won't redeem you, I will. So I know this is all kind of weird. And what ends up happening is, is in chapter four, Boaz goes to the gate of the city. And the gate of the city is like, it's like the courthouse. He goes, he goes down to the courthouse and he meets with some of the elders and some of the townspeople. And he says, you know what? I want to redeem this woman, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. I want to buy back their ancestral land. I want to buy it. And I want to give Ruth a child, and that child will be the heir of this land. But there's this other person, and it's really his responsibility if he wants it. So he calls him over and asks the guy, he says, hey, do you want to buy the land in chapter 4? And he says, I'd love to buy the land. He goes, well, here's the thing, though. If you buy the land, you have to take Ruth the Moabite. And he's like, I don't want it. (laughs) And you guys remember, if you were here for chapter 1, what did we learn about Israelites and Moabites? They don't like each other. And this is actually a perfect example of what I was telling you back then, right? Like the guy was very much, yes, let me buy the land. I would love to take this off of Naomi and Ruth's hands. I would love to do my Old Testament duty before God up until he finds out that he has to marry the Moabite. And then he's like, deals off. And Boaz Boaz says, this is great. I'll take care of it. And so in front of many witnesses, that's why you go to the town gate. You know, everybody's a witness to it. I bought the land. I'm going to take care of these ladies. The deal's done, right? Well, that gets us to the very end of Ruth chapter 4. And Seth, I want to read those verses to us this morning. This is the close of the book. That's what it says. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, The Lord enabled her to become pregnant. Now, underline that if you have a Bible. 
Because what, one of the things that we talked about from the very beginning of this book is that there's almost no mention of God in, in Ruth. But here we have one of, the, one of the only mentions of God, right? And, and look, how, look how subtle it is. Look how subtle it is. Like, it's just normal, it's just normal life stuff, right? Boaz marries Ruth, they sleep together and she gets pregnant. Does, it, does that feel, does that feel, does it feel like an act of God? Right? Does it feel like a miracle? But, but it clearly is in some way, right? Like this is the activity of God in Ruth and Naomi's life. That's what I want you to see. And she gave birth to a son, which is exactly what they needed for a lot of reasons. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. It's like, it, by the way, this is like prophecy. Underline that. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. That's the kind of stuff you want somebody to say to you about you when, you when you die and at your funeral, right? Next slide. Naomi took the baby and she cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. And he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. And then the end of the book is just a genealogy that gets you from Obed to David. I just want to say a couple things here. Uh, this is crazy good storytelling. Crazy good storytelling. Like, on so many levels. Number one, chapter one opens up with, with women who have lost everything and who are at their most vulnerable state. And chapter two is the beginning of them finding kindness. And by the end of chapter four, Ruth has married the perfect guy and it says, the Lord has given her a son as a Moabite, right? Do you guys remember in the opening sermon of this series where I read to you those passages from the Old Testament where it says, uh, these people can never come into the assembly of the Lord. Moabites can never come into the assembly of the Lord. And it's interesting. So chapter one opens up with loss and pain and death and vulnerability, and then by the end, you end up with restoration and healing and children and blessing. And there's this subtle thing going on in the book of Ruth where part of the message is, is something like this. The very people we thought were the most out, they're actually the ones who are the most in, right? God has given God has brought a, a Moabite woman into the very center of his story and she's going, to be, she's going to be the grandmother of the most famous king in Israel who, by the way, is in the family line of Jesus. Right? It's just like this unbelievable, unbelievable story. It's this unbelievable turn of events. And I want to point all this out to you this morning because I want to say three things to you here at the end. And Seth, I think I have a slide for this. 
want to say three things to the church this morning. Uh, number one, God is faithful and he is at work in your life. Uh, number two, our faithfulness can actually cooperate with God. And then number three, amazing things are ahead. Number one, God is at faithful. God is faithful and he is at work. Um, I, I just want to preach this to the church. Uh, this is something that you and I need to hear over and over again. God is faithful to you and he is at work in your life even when you don't feel it or know it. God is at work. It's one of the main messages in the book of Ruth. God is present even when he seems absent. God is almost never mentioned in Ruth. Only at the very end is God mentioned. And, and in the same way, even in the moments where it feels like God is very distant or God is not very present in your life, it simply isn't true. You and I can't make snap decisions about the character or the faithfulness of God, especially, especially in low moments. Especially in low moments. Imagine, imagine Naomi and imagine uh, Ruth if they had made decisions about the character and the faithfulness of God in chapter one, right? You, you, can't, make, you can't make chapter one decisions when chapter four is on its way. You just never know. Maybe you're struggling this morning or maybe you're at a low spot or maybe you've done some losing uh, and, and maybe, maybe it wasn't your fault. Maybe it wasn't your fault. Maybe you have questions or maybe you feel forgotten. Uh, maybe you've been betrayed. Uh, maybe it seems like all your faith was for nothing. But here's what I want to say to the church this morning. God is faithful to you. God is faithful to you. Even in your most difficult moments, even in your seasons of losing, God is faithful to you and he is working with you and he is working in you and he is working around you. And things may change in ways that you never could have imagined. Things might change in ways that you could never make happen. And God is, God is at work this morning whether we know it or not. Uh, here's one of the things I want to say to the church. We're not the ones driving or writing the story. We're not the ones writing the story. We're characters in the story, but we're not pulling every lever. Every lever. Uh, there's another person who's actually steering these things, uh, and it's God, and he's, he's doing something even right now. Right now, God is working in your life, even if you can't see it or feel it. God is working. He's barely mentioned in the book of Ruth. He's seemingly in the background. But sometimes, sometimes difficulty and pain in the foreground make it feel like God is in the background or maybe he's not there at all. But it just isn't the truth. One of the things we see in the book of Ruth is, is something like this, that the widow Ruth who had no food and no future could never have imagined what was coming for her in chapter four. And she certainly could not have imagined what was in store in her family line. Yeah. You know? In fact, she would never live to see it. She's actually fundamentally a part of something she'd never live to see. That's actually true for a lot of us. God is at work in your life and there will be parts that we will see and parts that we will not see. She never could have imagined that her personal deliverance would be a foreshadowing of the deliverance of Israel through David and the deliverance of the world through Jesus. Like what God is doing in you and through you, he wants to do for the world. That's just, 
That's the way God works. And she never could have known that in chapter one. God is at work. Uh, He is bending every single thing to good. Paul says that all things, what? Work for good. For who? For the ones who love him. God is working all things to good. So number one, God is faithful and he's at work in your life. Maybe you're high this morning or maybe you're low. Doesn't matter. God is working in your life. And maybe you've done some winning or maybe you've done some losing. Doesn't matter. God is faithful and he is at work in your life. And, and maybe, maybe you're at the lowest point you've ever been. Or maybe, maybe the last year has been the worst year of your life. If that's you this morning, I really want to talk to you for a second. I want to ignore everybody else. But if, if you're here this morning and you've had the worst year of your life, I, I'm literally talking to you. Here's what I want you to know. God is faithful and he has not left you. And he can do things in the next 20 or 30 years that would shock you and your life is important and there's, there's no telling what's going to happen in the future because God is faithful, he is, at, he is at work and he's ultimately the one who's pulling the levers and it's not just you or I and it's not just my decisions, it's not my goodness, it's not your goodness, it's not my, it's not my ability or your ability, it's not our gifts or talents always, it's, sometimes it's just God's goodness and faithfulness and he's bending everything to good and so you shouldn't give up. So if you're at your lowest moment or if you've had the worst year of your life, I'm, I'm literally talking to you. Or if things have perpetually not worked out, I just want you to know, like, God is faithful. There's no telling what's coming. Number two, this is actually important, though. Our faithfulness can cooperate with God. Our actions do matter. Uh, Did you notice in this book that Ruth is over and over again faithful to Naomi? Uh, Ruth's name means friend, or it it means something like loyalty, like uh, loyal friend. And over and over again, Ruth is, she's just faithful to Naomi. Like in chapter one, they're on their way back to Israel and Naomi says to the the two daughter-in-laws, she's like, girls, don't come with me. My life is cursed. Go back to your family. Just go to your mom and dad. It'll be better for you. And what what does Ruth say to Naomi? Nope, nope. Your people will be what? My people, your God will be my God. The God you just said that doesn't work. Naomi. That's a great commercial. That'll be my God. And I'm with you, right? I'm just totally with you. Over and over again, Ruth shows herself to be faithful. And then did you notice that her reputation in the community, talking about Ruth here, must have really been good based upon the things that Boaz says in chapter three. I just want to read this to you. In chapter 3, verse 10, Boaz says this. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. He says, you're showing even more family loyalty now than you did before because you've not gone after a younger man, whether he's rich or poor. Don't worry about a thing. I'll do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you're a virtuous woman. Her reputation precedes her, right? It's one of the things we see in the book of Ruth is it's not just God who's faithful, but it's, it's, it's Ruth and Naomi who are faithful. There's something there, right? But then it's not just Ruth and Naomi who are faithful. Did you notice that Boaz was a good and faithful man? Like when, when Ruth and Naomi show up with nothing and he, he, says, he, sees those, he sees her out in the field, he says to 
the field hands, he's like, who, who's that woman over there? And what's she doing? And he, what does he tell all the young men who are around? Leave her alone. And then, he, what, then what does he say? Drop a little extra grain on the ground. And then when he has that midnight meeting with Ruth, what does he do? Here's six measures of barley. Don't go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. What do we find out in this story? There's so much faithfulness. And every character's faithfulness in the story, it's just, it's just lowercase mirrors of the faithfulness of God. But there's something about how our faithfulness and our actions can actually cooperate with God. There's some kind of interplay here. Our actions really do matter. And, and part of the reason I wanted to bring this up is because deep history is actually being formed today. Like you and I, the way that we carry and the way that we live, we're either operating with the grain of God's goodness and with the grain of God's faithfulness and with the grain of his work in the world, or we're living against it. And this is really important for us to think about because the truth is, just like Ruth was cooperating with the faithfulness and work of God, which leads to deep history and redemption for the world, same thing is happening in your life. Same thing is happening. Faithfulness puts us in step with God because he's faithful. And faithfulness puts us in step with things in the future that we might not ever get to see, but, but will make a difference for the future world. Faithfulness matters. Number three, amazing things are ahead. Things that you and I might not get to see, but things we're either agreeing with or setting up right now. There's no way that Ruth could have known what was in store for her family line. There's no way that Naomi could have known the plans God had in their life. And similarly, none of us knows the plans that God has in store for us. I think the New Testament says something like this. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, right? These are the ways that God works in the world. Uh, our lowest moment is not our final chapter, and our hardest day is not our last day, and our suffering is not the climax of the story. God actually has more in store for us than that. And this is why we keep moving ahead, and this is why we keep trusting, and we keep looking for his action in our lives. Uh, in the end, whatever difficulty you've had in your life, in the end, this is what you'll say to God. It was momentary light affliction. It was, it, was, it, was, it was nothing compared to the glory that God wants to give and reveal and build into your life. There's something glorious ahead. Now, you might be thinking, awesome. Awesome, but what do we do? What do we do? A few things. Part of what we need is we need an internal attention span that's longer than our most difficult moment. Eight-second increments are not the way that God works, right? I wanted to start this sermon by talking about eight-second attention spans because part of what the book of Ruth shows us is, is that God is working over the course of not just a lifetime, but lifetimes, right? So we need to count on his faithfulness and we can't make snap decisions at our lowest moment and we need an attention span, an internal, internal 
attention span that, that's longer and that's more imaginative and that is greater because what God wants to do in your life, it's, it's far bigger than you have any imagination for, most likely. So we just want to say, you know what, God, I, I'm, I'm going to hold out I'm going to hold out a piece of my life for you. And, and I'm not going to make snap decisions about you or about me or the community that I live in or the life I'm living based on my lowest moment because I know you're faithful and you're active and you're working. And who knows what the end of this story looks like. And the good news for us this morning is this, that you can, you can watch whatever you want on that airplane. Uh, in fact, you can get up and go to the bathroom if you want. Uh, you can call the flight attendant over for extra snacks. They always, try, they always try to give you one snack, but here's what I've learned. If you ask for two, they'll give you two. Yeah. When you get on the airplane, watch whatever you want. Get up and go to the bathroom. When the flight attendant comes over, ask them for two. Tell them you want almonds and the cookie. They'll give it to you, right? But, but it doesn't change this. It doesn't change the fact that God is the pilot and he's driving this thing somewhere. So make whatever decision you want on the plane. But at the end of the day, God is the pilot and he's driving this thing somewhere. And what we know from the character of Jesus and from the scriptures themselves is that the destination is good. The destination is good. We can lean into his faithfulness. And there are things ahead for each of us that we never could know. Stuff that God has in store. Stuff that God has in store. So what do we do? Here's what we do. We lean in. That's what we do. And we lean into the faithfulness of God. We lean into the work of God. He is at work in your life. And we trust him in the in-between. God's just doing stuff. God's doing stuff. And it doesn't matter if I feel it. It doesn't matter if I see it. It doesn't matter if I know it. It doesn't matter if I have an ability to say it or articulate it. It doesn't matter if I have a prophetic word for it or not. It doesn't matter. Like God is faithful to me and he's faithful to you and there's stuff that's happening and your lowest moment isn't the only moment. There'll be something else. He's going to tie this thing together. So if you're in the room this morning, why don't you stand up? I'm not going to bring the band up because there is no band. Sam, will you come here? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.